Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Has anyone ever had anything stolen from them? Come on, give me, give me a wave. You can be, ever had anything stolen from them? About 12 months ago, I took a couple out for dinner after church. We have five services on a Sunday. We have an 8 a.m., a 9.30, a 11.15, a 5, and a 7.15 at night. So we did five services, and then I take a couple out for dinner. I go down into downtown Auckland, which is the hood. It's so good to be in Adelaide where it's nice. Everyone loves everyone. Why are you laughing? So I go down to... I go down to downtown Auckland and take this couple out for dinner. I was driving my wife's car at the time. I walk out of the restaurant, look across where I'd parked the car, and I'm walking towards the car, and the, dry, the, sorry, the passenger side front window is smashed out. I'd left, I carry a man bag, don't judge me. Don't judge me. I carry a man bag. I'd left my bag on the front seat, and as I walk toward the car, the bag has gone. So I call the police and tell them, and they say, can you give us the details? So I gave them the details. At the end of the conversation, they give me a claim number. And the lady on the other end of the phone makes this statement. If you find anything else out about what happened, would you call us? Isn't that your job to do that? So, okay, whatever. So I, I do all that sort of stuff. By this time, it's midnight. I drive home and my wife, who is the smarter one of the two of us, says to me, hey, didn't you put that find my iPhone thing on your iPad? I said, yeah, I did. She goes, well, why don't you jump online and see where it is? I'm like, awesome. How do I do that? So, <laughs> so she cracked out the computer. She she goes to findmyiphone.com or iCloud or whatever the heck it is. And she goes, what's your password? I'm like, ah! So I give her the same password that I have for every absolute everything I own and it, it works. And uh, so she logs on and all of a sudden a map pops up with a green dot driving down the motorway, the highway, which is my iPad. So I call the police again. I said, hey, I called a little while ago. Here's the claim number. I've done your job and found my iPad. (laughs) The lady says, where is it? I said, it's driving down the motorway. (laughs) She said, can you describe the car it's in? I said, oh, this is going to be a long night. It's a green dot. She says, okay, I understand now. Can you tell me if the perpetrator is male or female? I said, it's a green dot. (laughs) She goes, okay, I understand now. So uh, she says, just stay on the line and we'll see if there's any squad cars in the area and we'll try and track the iPad with you. So about three seconds later, my cell phone drops out. So my wife who was sitting beside me grabs the home phone, calls the police I call back on my cell phone and we happen to get through at the same time. My wife says, don't worry, my husband's got through, hangs up. I continue to tell where the thing is. It stops outside a house. Now we have three campuses in Auckland. We have a North Campus, a South Campus and a Central Campus. At our South Campus, it is predominantly Māori and PI and 90% of them are barely saved. So what I wanted to do was go and pick five of them up 
the barely saved ones and go to the house where my iPad is and get it back myself. I figure, I'm already doing the police work. Let's take this all the way through. My wife goes, you're an idiot, just stay on the phone. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Okay, so I stay on the phone. I said, hey, it stopped outside five man clothes. And, I, and they said, okay, just hold on the line. At that moment, there's a knock on the front door. I go to the front door, open the door. There's two uniformed police officers standing at my front door. It's like 1.30 in the morning at this stage. I said, um, hi, I'm on the phone to you. Do you want to talk to you? <laughs> then the police officer says, we got a call from a distressed lady. Is everything all right? I said, yeah, everything's fine. She go, they go, sir, we need to see the lady. Like, how did I go from being the victim to the perpetrator? I went from being an abused man to an abuser in one phone call. So my wife, who uh, was in her dressing gown and her hair was amazing, because it always is. Uh, side note, ladies, how do you shower, lose that much hair every day and not go bald in a week? Uh, just a question. But anyway, so I said to Amanda, I'm like, any men? You know what I'm saying? Like, seriously, I'm sick. Anyway. So, she's not here. So I said, uh, hey, babe, can you come here and let the police officer know you're not a battered woman? So she comes to the front door, says, I'm okay. We go back to the phone call. And then there's this lady on the end of the phone. She goes, just hold on. We've sent some officers inside. About two minutes later, the lady comes on the phone and says, we've found your iPad. We've recovered it. I said, yeah, but did you get the bag? She goes, no, it's just an iPad. We found an 18-year-old boy in his room trying to get online. Can you imagine that poor guy? The most nervous part of the night was to smash the window, grab the bag. He's at home thinking he's got off scot-free and cops come into his bedroom door, grab the iPad. I said, did you find the bag? They said, no, we didn't find the bag, sir. I said, I desperately need that bag because in that bag was my wallet with everything I owned, which was irrelevant. The thing that I really wanted was my Bible. My Bible that I've had for 13 years, in that Bible is journaling of stories of what God has done. In that Bible is revelations that God had spoken to me. In that Bible is the moment that I baptised my daughter and God spoke to me about her future. There was a whole bunch of stuff in that Bible. So I wasn't really after the bag, I was after the Bible. I said, hey, tell the guy that if he tells you where the bag is, I won't press charges. They say, yeah, but we will. I said, he doesn't need to know that. Just tell him I won't press charges. He's obviously not a smart individual. Just tell him I won't press charges. So they go in, they say, then the guy says, oh, the guy that I bought the iPad off, I saw him throw the bag into the bush in the park right near where my car was parked. So about four and a half hours later at 7.30 in the morning, I get a knock on the front door. They hand me my bag back, my Bible back, my iPad back, my wallet back, everything that was stolen, they hand it back to me. Here's what I want to talk about this morning. When the enemy comes to steal from you, He's not after what is on the surface. He's after something so much deeper. I could care less about the iPad. I could care less about the bag. I could care less really about my wallet and the credit cards. All that stuff is replaceable. What I cared about was things that you couldn't replace. When the enemy comes knocking on your door, he's not after what he's going for on the surface. He's after something so much deeper. And this morning, what I'd love to speak to you about for just a couple of minutes is this thought, a hope-filled grab. A hope-filled 
grab. Come on, let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are here, that you're going to speak to us, that you're going to deposit something on the inside of us. God, I thank you that people who walked in here hopeless will walk out hopeful, that people that walked in discouraged will walk out encouraged. God, we thank you that you are a real living God with real living answers to everyday life. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a story in the Bible, by the way, where I come from, I like a whole lot of response. This is a dialogue, not a monologue. Pastor Tony said he wanted to hear church responding from Hawaii. So let's, let's get loud, let's get rowdy, let's, let's get engaged. The, uh, there's a story in the Bible that really illustrates the point that when the enemy comes to steal, we have to be a bit aware because the enemy has no new tricks in the book. He's the same. His tricks are the same. His abilities are the same. He has no new tricks in the book. And there's a story that David, the King David went through that I believe illustrates what it means to really take the enemy for what he's worth. It's 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse one to eight. It says this, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag, on the third day, the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, their daughters. Trust me, this does get better. This isn't a depressing Sunday morning, whole Sunday morning. It gets better. Hold on with me. Get, we'll get there. It burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken and, was, and, and had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept till they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ohinoam, Ohinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened, one translation says, encouraged himself in his Lord. Verse 8. So David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And, he, and God answered David, pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. We find David here is lost everything. See, David started out as a shepherd boy tending his father's sheep and Through a whole series of circumstance, he found himself with the opportunity to be in the king's palace, to recite poetry, just like Pastor Paul Beniathan does to his wife every morning, wakes up and just recites poetry and sits there with his harp, singing some nice little melodies and has his wings on. And David finds himself in... (laughs) That's an amazing picture right there. David, (laughs) Mick, you do that, don't you? Four kids. Uh, so, so David, David finds himself in the, where's Benno? He'd make an amazing harpist right here. Look, his wife's like, heck no. <laughs> so David finds himself in the palace reciting poetry to the king and then gets the opportunity to take on Goliath. And in an instant goes from a harp player in the palace to celebrity status in one instant. 
And they write songs about David. They say, Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. And then David, because he had done such a great feat for the king, he gets the chance to marry the king's daughter, Michael, and live in the palace tax-free. Come on, somebody, say amen. Lives in the palace tax-free. So David goes from being a shepherd boy to the most feared soldier in all the armies of Israel. And then something goes horribly wrong. Saul gets jealous and tries to take David's life. He gets jealous of David's popularity. So David has to flee from the palace. He, he has to flee to get away from Saul. He goes from living in a palace with the king's daughter to living in a cave with a bunch of in-debt, distressed and dislocated men. He goes from leading an elite troop and an elite army to leading a bunch of people that no one else wants and a bunch of rejects. He goes from celebrity status to fugitive in one move. Finally, after trying to flee from Saul and honour Saul as king, but avoid him, David says, you know what, I'm done. I'm gonna go and serve King Achish, who is a king of Gath, one of the Philistine lords, basically the enemy, the same enemy of whom elevated him. Goliath was a Philistine and that's what got David to celebrity status. David says, you know what, if Saul doesn't want my gifts, then I'll go and pledge allegiance to King Achish who is one of the Philistine lords. Saul says, you know what? If the house of God can't use me, sorry, David says, if the people of God won't use me, I'll go and pledge allegiance to the enemy. I thank God for churches like Victory Church who believe in the next generation. So the next generation doesn't have to go and use their talents to serve some other king. But we have senior leaders in Pastor Tony and Kath who believe in the next generation, making room and opportunity for the next generation to express their gifts and express their talents. You don't have to go anywhere else. You can do it right here in the house of God. And because of David's work and loyalty, King Achish realises that David's been living in a cave. He says, hey, Dave, come here. This is the Scott version. Hey, Dave, come here. You've been living in a cave for about 14 months now. You've been doing so well and you have served me so well. I'm gonna give you Ziklag, which is a territory. I'm gonna give you a town for you and the what was 400 distressed men is now 600 elite soldiers. I want you guys to get out of the cave and go and take Ziklag. Can you imagine that day when David goes home? When he goes home to Ahinoam and Abigail, his two wives, God help him. When he goes home to Ahinoam and Abigail and says, hey, we've been living like, we've been living like gypsies for the last 14 months. We've been in the cave. You can do whatever you want to a cave. You can put curtains up. You can put pictures on the wall. You can play no greater name through there, but a cave is still a cave. It's not home, it's a cave. Imagine going home. Hey ladies, we finally get to move out of here. This whole transient living, you know the couch that you saw down at Ikea, we can finally buy it and set it up at Ziklag. You know, the nice prints and the nice curtains, we can finally get rid of the shrubs and the bush over the front of the cave. We can actually put up some curtains. We can, we can call something home. We, we can start having kids. 
because Ziklag is ours. We can take Ziklag. So David and his 600 mighty men go to Ziklag and they set up. We can finally have a place that we call home and we're protected from Saul. Fast forward a period of time and David gets a call from King Akish, probably got a tweet or a Facebook, I don't know, from King Akish and King Akish says, hey, there's a war, I need your help. So David and his mighty men strap up and they walk three days to work. Don't ever complain about the Adelaide traffic. David had to walk three days to work. So he walks to work and as he gets there, you can just see it. David and his mighty men are walking towards where this war is and King Akish and his army are already there fighting it. And you can hear the murmurings when the army sees David and his mighty men. They know the songs. Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. And all of a sudden, Akish's army speaks to Akish and say, hey, King, send those guys home. Although they claim to be with you, they're not Philistines. They could turn on us at any moment, send them home. So after three days to get to work, King Akish says to Dave and the boys, hey, go home. So Dave, sorry for my irreverence, King David and his troops turn around and start walking home. I want you to put yourself in this moment. They go, David goes from living in a palace to living in a cave to finally having something to call his own. And as, he's, and as him and his boys are walking back towards Ziklag, they can see smoke rising. Just imagine the conversation that, hey, isn't, isn't that in the direction of Ziklag? Isn't that smoke coming from Ziklag? So as they journey closer and closer towards Ziklag, they realise that not only is it in the direction of Ziklag, it's right where Ziklag is. So you can just imagine the last day of their journey is not just a stroll home, but they're powering through only to get back to Ziklag and find the place that they had finally established themselves burnt to the ground that the enemy had stolen the very thing that they felt like was the provision of God. Have you ever felt like that? That finally I've got the provision of God and the enemy has stolen it. Finally, I've got a place where life can move forward and the enemy has stolen it. And David gets back to where Ziklag is. He'd spent so much time setting it up and the enemy had burnt it to the ground. And I believe that there is insight into David's story excuse me, that will help us today when the enemy comes knocking on our door. Because I don't believe the enemy was after Ziklag. I don't actually believe the enemy was after, take this in the right sense, David's wives and children. I think the enemy was after something so much deeper than material possessions and human relationships. Because when the enemy comes, he comes for something so much deeper than the surface. Watch this. See, they'd already taken Michael. That's a whole different story. Michael was the king's daughter that David got betrothed to after he, that's married by the way, that David got married to after he'd taken down Goliath. They'd already taken Michael. You know, Michael, her name means who is like the Lord. Of course, no one is like God and Her name is not as much as a question as it is a statement of who is like our God. 
See, the enemy had stolen Mikael. The enemy had stolen David's confidence in God. The enemy had gone after his statement of who is like my God, regardless of circumstance, regardless of challenge, regardless of what I face, I know that I have confidence in God. The enemy is not after your house. He's not after your car. He's after your confidence in God. Because if he can take your confidence in God, you get stuck in the very place that you gave him your confidence. You gave up your confidence. The enemy is after your confidence. Hebrews 10.35 says this, Do not throw away your confidence, for in your confidence there is great reward. You know, he's not after your stuff. He's not after your car. He's not after your house. He's not after your job. He's after Mikael. The enemy knows that if he can steal our confidence in God, we will give up where we are right there and right then. Have you ever seen someone who's given up their confidence in God? They go from having a spark in their eye and a fight in their step to, well, the light, okay, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be. Have you ever met Eeyore? There is Eeyores in all types of churches. Oh me, oh my, oh terrible. How's your week been? Oh, not bad. Well, if it hasn't been not bad, can't it be good? Well, the enemy is after our confidence in God, is after our expectation that God can do something great. We moved into this building how many years ago? Five, we moved into this building five years ago with a belief that we could change a city. Five years on, do we still believe that we can change a city? Do we still have confidence in our God? Or has the enemy stolen Mikael? My hope is not in my circumstance. My hope is not in my stuff. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You can take my car, you can take my house, you can take my stuff, but you cannot take my confidence in God because my God will have the final say in everything. He is after your confidence in God. And I believe this morning there is going to be a whole lot of people. You're going to get Mikael back. You're going to get your confidence in God back. You're going to choose to believe regardless of what circumstances said. My hope is built on what Jesus has already done. Mikael is coming home. The enemy is after your confidence in God. So Mikael is gone. Now the enemy has taken Ohinoam. Ohinoe means well of pleasantness. You know that the enemy wants to steal your pleasantness. Have you ever met an unpleasant Christian? Eyes this way, no nudging. No elbows. Makes it all weird. Look this way. Have you ever met an unpleasant Christian? Just a miserable Christian. Just miserable. You ever met those people? Just miserable. Like you, you avoid them in the foyer. Thank God for caller ID. Did you get my face? Don't press accept because they know. Just leave it as a request. Come on, you ever met those type of Christians? You know the miserable ones, the ones that suck the life out of you. The ones that when you get around, you can just, you can feel life being sucked out of you. They're just unpleasant. You ever met those people? Why we got those lights? Music's too loud. Why does it have to be so dark? Because we're not building this for you, chump. We're building it for the people out there who need to come in here and feel comfortable in Jesus' name. Don't allow the enemy to steal a Hinoam, regardless of what's going on. 
regardless of what, I don't want to single you out, but Hoffmans, you are amazing people. Amazing people with everything you've got going on. And I've never seen you without a smile on your face. I'm sure behind closed doors, there's a few days without smiles on your face, but I've never seen you without a smile on your face. And the word of God for you is, you're not just going through this for you. You're going through this for a whole bunch of people who will look to you and get hope from you because of what God does through you because you haven't lost your pleasantness. You know what? Any day you think I've got a tough life, have a think about those guys and get over your flu or your lost whatever and believe God to stay pleasant through this whole thing. The enemy is after our pleasantness. Why is the enemy after our pleasantness? Because our pleasantness is the doorway to other people seeing our God. Our pleasantness is the doorway to other people seeing our God. I was a youth pastor for eight years. I was delivered a few years ago, thank the Lord. (laughs) Delivered from all-nighters and summer camps and praise and worship that smells like a bag of armpits after about five minutes. Oh, thank the Lord. Young people, I love you, but she's Louise. So anyway, while I was a youth pastor, I had that kid in my youth. You know, that kid that's always getting in trouble, but I loved him because he reminded me of me. So every, every, every week I'd have his parents on the phone and I got called to the police station once, which is a story that will remain non-public. And but anyway, one day I get a call from my pastor and says, hey, get Brad into your office tomorrow. I'm like, uh, what's he done now? He goes, I was, so here's the story. Brad's driving to church for leadership training night. Keep that at the top of your mind. Leadership training night. He's driving to church and up behind Brad in his, Brad's got a little sports car. Turns out this big, I lived in America for a while, this big Suburban that was flashing its headlights at Brad. So Brad would speed up and then the Suburban would speed up after him. And all of a sudden about two miles out from, two, three Ks out from the church, the Suburban came right up close and put its headlights on high beam and didn't shut it down. So Brad says to his girlfriend who's sitting in the seat beside him, hey, hold the wheel. That can't end good at all. So she leans over, holds the wheel while he puts it in cruise control, opens the sunroof up, stands up in this car while it's driving and gives the car behind it a wave. (laughs) The car behind was our senior pastor. That's for you, Tone and Kath. So, so I get Brad into the office and I'm like, hey man, what did you do? He's like, I was ready to rip someone's head off. And then I figured out who it was. So this time Brad's mum, uh, sorry, Brad's dad comes in and Brad's dad is the most negative, self-defeating, trash-talking guy I've ever met. In my, he's not in church. I've ever met in my life. And all of a sudden, I thought, you know what? God, help us to raise a generation that don't carry on the traits. Help my kids not to take my negative traits into the next generation, but through Jesus, draw a line in the sand. Listen, don't tell me that you're miserable because it's your personality. If that's the case, get a new flipping personality because all things are new in Christ Jesus. When you become... The enemy is after your pleasantness. Don't allow the enemy 
to steal your pleasantness. So the enemy has stolen confidence in God. The enemy has stolen Ahinoe in pleasantness. The enemy then wants to steal Abigail. Abigail means fountain of joy. You know, the enemy is after your joy. He's not after your happiness because happiness is dependent on happenings. He's after your joy, which is way deeper than happiness. You can have joy in the midst of crazy circumstances because joy is not dependent on circumstance. Joy is dependent on a revelation of who He is and what He can do. The enemy is after your joy. A few years ago, I went to Watoto in Africa. I don't know if you've ever been there or heard about it, but Watoto is an organisation in Africa that literally adopts orphaned children. They, last count I heard, had 2,700 kids that they had legally adopted. They then take widowed mums who are widowed either through war or AIDS and they build villages. They take a mum with her own two biological kids and then put eight orphaned kids in a house and call it a family. And the goal is that there is such a family nucleus created that it doesn't just go till the kid is 16, but it literally, that family becomes that kid's family for life. So when they graduate university, they come home to mum. When they have kids, this is the grandmother. It's literally a new, then they have eight or 12 or 16 of these houses on one site to create a little village because in Africa, it takes a village to raise a child. I say, bring that to New Zealand. Anyone can have my kids, take the village, have them. Not really. Sometimes, not really. So one day, so I, I happen to go to one of these villages and I sit down with this kid who tells me his story. The most horrific story you've ever heard. Watched his parents be murdered. Watched absolute atrocities happen to his mum and his sisters. And at the end of it, with a smile on his face, he says, but my future is bright because Jesus loves me. That's a joy that is deeper than circumstance. And we can be so fickle and have joy dependent on circumstance when, I don't know about you, but my Bible says that the joy of the Lord is my strength. Well, how do I get that? In His presence there is fullness of joy. Why do we need to be in church every Sunday? Because in His presence, there is fullness of joy. Why do I need to start every day worshipping God and praising and connecting with Him? Because in His presence, there is fullness of joy. Yeah, but I do it at night. Awesome, do it at night. Find me one scripture that says Jesus stayed up late and sought the Lord. He didn't. I looked for it, trust me. I hunted it down. I tried to find one that legitimized my late. No, I'm, I'm not making a theological. If you do it at night, go for it. But the Bible says in His presence, there is fullness of joy and the joy of the Lord is my strength you want to be joyful get in his presence some people come out of worship with such an intense look where you been I met with the Lord you're not you're not done go back get some more of the Lord because the joy of the Lord is my strength. A joy that is so unreasonable, a joy that in the midst of anything, there is this joy on the inside that my God will come through. The thing that can praise God in the midst, you know, in the midst of a doctor's report. Thank you, sir. You just practice medicine, but I know the great physician. A joy 
that has a rootedness and a foundation in who God is. The enemy doesn't want you to be confident. The enemy doesn't want you to be pleasant. And the enemy doesn't want you to be joyful. Sounds like a whole lot of Christians. Because the enemy has stolen a whole lot more than what was just on the surface. He's after stuff that is a whole lot deeper than what we perceive at first glance. And today I'm believing God that a whole bunch of people are going to see Mikael come home. That a whole bunch of people are going to see Abigail and Ahinoam come back home. Areas where you used to be joyful, joy can come back. Where you used to be pleasant, pleasantness can come back. And where you used to have a confidence, confidence can come back. Because the enemy is, has his old tricks. Carry on, here's what happened. The Bible says that David strengthened or encouraged himself in the Lord. That word encourage in the original language is kasak. The word kasak means to encourage or to grab a hold of. Do you know that encouraging yourself in the Lord is not passive, it's active. Encouraging yourself in God is not sitting in a chair and waiting for God to pour something out. It's reaching out and grabbing something from God. Remember the lady with the issue of blood? The Bible says that she, it's the same language where she reached out and touched the hem of His garment. If only I could touch Jesus, then my circumstance would change. If only I could touch Him, then what's in Him can be dragged into my life and my world world can be very different. When I encourage myself in God, I'm reaching out saying my hope's not in circumstance, my hope's not in that stuff. My hope is built on nothing else but Jesus' blood and righteousness. I can kasak, I can reach out and grab a hold of hope and bring it into who I am. We encourage ourselves in God. By grabbing a hold of him. It's amazing that the moment David reached out and encouraged himself in God was when God said, Go, you shall surely recover all. The amazing part to that story is somewhere in the three day walk back from the battle to Ziklag. Saul died. Why is that significant? Because David was never destined for Ziglag. David was destined for the palace. And David thought he'd never make it to the palace, so he got comfortable and excited about Ziklag. There's a whole bunch of people in church this morning and you're settling for second best. You're not built for Ziklag, you're built for the palace. 
You're not built for half a miracle, you're built for a full miracle. You're not built for a marriage that, well, at least we don't fight anymore. You're built for a marriage that, well, no, it's flourishing. You're not built for health where, or at least I don't get sick every week. No, you're built for health and wholeness. You're not built for finances. Well, at least I can pay my bills. You're built for abundance where you can bless other people. You are not born for Ziklag. You're born for the palace. Turn your, when Ziklag burns, say, God, you must be setting me up to send me to the palace. When Ziklag is taken away, he's setting you up for what He has for you next. You're not born for Ziklag. You're born for the palace. And somewhere in that three days journey, God took care of the obstacle that was stopping David moving into the palace. And today I want to hear you. I want you to hear me. That God can use your set back to set you up and propel you into what He has for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I wonder today if Mikael's been stolen. I wonder today if Ahinoam, your pleasantness, has been stolen. You used to enjoy being around people. You used to love making people feel good about themselves and excited about the future and somewhere, somehow that's gone. Or maybe Abigail's been stolen, your joy, not your happiness, your joy has been stolen. I wanna speak over you today that God can restore all of it, that you can walk out of here with a confidence you haven't had in years, that you can walk out of here with a pleasantness you haven't had in years that you can walk out of here with a joy that you haven't had in years. Or maybe some of us, we've got used to Ziklag. Yeah, I I know my child isn't walking with God, but at least they're not getting in trouble anymore. That's Ziklag. Yeah, I know I used to believe for a flourishing marriage, but maybe this is as far as it can get. At least we're not at each other's throats anymore. That's Ziklag. It's a step forward but it's not the palace. And I pray for a holy discomfort for halfway miracles, for a satisfied dissatisfaction that we are grateful, God, you've brought me this far, but I know there's more. I'm grateful, God, for the steps forward, but I'm not gonna settle here. I'm gonna keep believing you to go all the way to the palace. If you're in any of those categories, you want Mikael back, you want Abigail back, you want Ahinoam back, you want confidence back, you want joy back, you want pleasantness back, or you believe in God to move on from Ziglag into all that He has for you, would you lift your hand? I wanna pray for you wherever you are. Come on, there's hands all over the auditorium. Extend those elbows out straight, come on. Father, I pray for every person with their hand raised, that you would restore what the enemy has stolen, that you would bring back Mikael, you would bring back a confidence in the God of our salvation, that you would bring back a confidence in the God who is not overthrown by circumstance, but is bigger than circumstance. 
Father, I pray that you would bring back Ohinawame, that you would bring back pleasantness, that there would be a sweet aroma to everything we do that would be a doorway to others seeing your love and your grace, that you would bring Abigail back. God, give us a joy that is bigger than circumstance, a joy that is bigger than what's going on around us, a joy that is rooted and founded in who you are and what you can do. And Father, I pray for those of us that have settled in Ziklag. God, we thank you for the steps forward, but we declare this isn't our end point. This is our midpoint, that you will get us to the palace. In Jesus' name. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 